0: you may be raising an lgbtq kiddo or not but likely you know someone who identifies as lgbtq how are you being an ally for them and how are you teaching your children to be allies for them our guest today will share with us how we can be just that stay tuned after these messages from our sponsors.
1: Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of... um, Furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on HomeThreads.com, and we have a discount code for you. Go to HomeThreads.com/onboys. You can get a code for fifteen percent off your first order. Because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads love where you
0: live. This is the Onboys Parenting Podcast. We're so glad you're here. When my boys were born, I
1: was winging it. I had no classes, no boy-specific information, and I learned by making a lot of mistakes. I wish, Janet, I wish that the Raising Next Gen Men course had been available when my kids were little.
0: Yes. So if you are raising littles, if you are raising tweens, if you are raising teens, the next Gen Men course is going to be informative, inspirational. Inside this course, you will meet some people that you've likely heard on our podcast before. Dr. Michael Reichart, Adam Cox, Michael Thompson, all of these advocates and change makers are highlighted in this course, so you are going to have new information, new inspiration for raising those boys into great men. You can find the course at nextgenmen.ca shop and use the Envoy's coupon code for a discount. Taking a course is a great way to learn more about your boys. And what if you could add to that decoding your boys, less yelling, more connecting, a real-time conversation with me, Janet. We meet twice each month in real-time. I teach around a monthly theme, boys and screen time, boys and anger, all the things that you wonder and worry about, we talk about, and the best part of this is that you get to interact with me live ask your questions. I coach you. You get input from other parents. It is a community of like-minded moms and dads, and we are supporting each other. We are live together twice a month. Go to boysalive.com decode to learn all about this unique, interactive program to support you in raising your boys. Boysalive.com slash decode. And now on Boys.
1: This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Kids learn from what we don't say. Today's guest was caught off guard when his then six year old nephew pointed to his longtime friend, a woman, and asked, is she your girlfriend? Innocent question. And it was. Chris Tompkins, our guest and the uncle in question was surprised though, because he is an openly gay man. His family knew this, his friends knew this, and it struck him. Why didn't my nephew know this? We're going to talk about this today because this is a really important topic. What kids learn from what we don't say. Chris is joining us from LA. He is the author of a new book, Raising LGBTQ Allies, A Parent's Guide to Changing the Messages from the Playground. Welcome, Chris.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here.
1: All right. I know you've told this story many times. (laughs) Your nephew asked this question and it's like, (sighs) yeah. as things are when children ask questions that adults don't want to deal with, in, sure, yeah. in rooms full of people
2: totally yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so what,
1: what happened next in that moment
2: yeah so i've told i've told the story and I, it's still a story that continues to be applicable cuz kids ask questions all the time um
1: kids are not shy
2: they're not shy and they will ask us questions when we're caught off guard and and so really um what what i share and i i i actually didn't say write about this part in the in the book but um i i'm from arizona so i live in los angeles so i was in arizona giving a workshop at the arizona equality and justice conference which is an lgbtq specific conference so you
1: are there to talk about this yes
2: exactly to give a workshop um all about self-care and advocacy how important self-care is for for advocacy and so so the conference was in Phoenix. I'm from Tucson. And so afterwards, okay. I drove down to Tucson and my mom had a big family get together, as moms do, partly because I was in town and I hadn't made it home for the holidays. And so my childhood best friend was there. That, that was the woman um, who I, I wrote about. And so like kids do, and my nephew at the time, they, they think thoughts. Not necessarily fully wanting the entire explanation.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> they just have the thought. And so my nephew was playing or in the living room with amongst with with all the other kids, and I was at the table with all the adults, and we were talking. And then my nephew, in his typical fashion at the time, whenever he would whisper, it was just talking out loud. <laughs> so so he ran over. He, he was they were playing, and then he just had the thought and ran over in the middle of his run around the living room and then whispered but slash talking out loud asked if she was my girlfriend the woman sitting next to me and
1: you know and I, I, think, would have, I want to stop you there for a minute yes. just because this is on boys podcast right and this is like some of the most boy stuff ever these conversations don't necessarily happen when you're ready for them it's yeah. not like um okay we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have an important conversation capital sure. i capital c um, right he's running around, he's playing. Uh He really, like you said, he doesn't want the whole story. He doesn't care that much about what's going on with uncle Chris. It's just, Hey, this thought crossed my mind. So now's the time.
2: Yes, exactly. It was just the neural pathways. He, I was in town visiting. He saw me with this person. He had never met her before. And, and what I talk a lot about in the book and then maybe what we'll get to further is just kind of the heteronormativity that 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 we exist in and so his question was coming from that place and and so i think there were the the question was so powerful to me in so many ways because it was so layered and it was nuanced and you know i kind of uh you know there are many different speaking points that we can talk to as far as like what the question what what occurred to me with that question but i think mostly it was everyone else's reaction and response and and just kind of in the moment seeing their faces and then my nephew continuing to go off and play i didn't need to have this whole full-on you know conversation with him, and so i think that's when i started to realize oh people aren't having certain conversations with with their children and in, in my family who like you mentioned i'm i was open i've been openly gay and I kind of thought that I don't live in in the same state. So I kind of thought that maybe their parents had already talked or had, you know, conversations or, you know, Uncle Chris and and I wasn't dating anyone at the time. And so I had never brought a partner home to visit to Arizona. And so later that night, it occurred to me that my sister wasn't having conversations. And so for me, it was the curiosity behind why she wasn't having conversations and like you said before what children learn from the things we don't say and so cuz i feel like children are so intuitive um they in are. my experience i mean um, the
1: very fact that your nephew asked that question you know he's 6 he's trying to make sense of the world around him as all of our children are and right. the question you know he saw that there was there was a special relationship between you and this person yes. yeah,
2: you know you're sure. you're
1: close and he's sure. trying to figure he's trying to make this make sense according to his framework.
2: Yeah. And so
1: really he didn't have a big enough framework to put
2: this in. Right. And this isn't about, you know, his question wasn't bad or wrong. It was it was it was so incredible to me. It's been such a a gift. My nephew and I, I mean, he's the most insightful uh, person and we're so close. And so for me it was just really realizing that we've come such a long way with lgbtq rights and equality and marriage and transgender rights and conversations and we live still in a world that what i what i refer to in the book i call them the messages from the playground the invisible messages that that we receive that inform like my nephew, who my family's loving, they love me, they support me, and just the dominant messages. And so that's really where I had to proactively, the next day, start. I started calling around and asking family members of mine, and most of them had the same response, which was, oh, they're not old enough to understand, or or I thought about it, I just didn't know what to say.
1: You know, since, since learning about your book and, you know, looking into your book and I watched your TEDx, which is wonderful. I'm going to put the link listeners in our show notes, watch it. It's well worth a watch. I've thought a lot about this. You know, I have, Mm -hmm. um, I have four brothers. I have a sister Mm -hmm. and you mentioned, you know, heteronormative culture, big word. And, uh, if you're not regularly spending time with people who use words like heteronormative, it can sound really intimidating, but all you're really referring to is this idea that is so prevalent in our culture that the default is we just assume people are straight.
2: Yeah, exactly. A
1: baby is born and you assume that that child, whether male, female, or non-binary, you assume that that child is straight. You don't even think about it. Right. And as I was pondering, you know, your experience with your nephew, I realized I'm like, well, I mean, I never told my boys that their uncles are straight mm. because I never had to because right. they fit this default and right. so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on how can we be changing those conversations to make them more inclusive so that we're not creating this culture of silence.
2: Yeah. Which yeah. you
1: point out feeds into shame because kids learn yeah. there are things it's okay to talk about And things that are not okay to talk about yes
2: yes thank you everything you said is so spot on and helpful and i do recognize the fact and i appreciate you mentioning that it is a big work and it sounds really big and clinical and what does that mean um but yeah it's basically i call it kind of like it's like the background music when you go into a department store like you don't even realize that it's it's there and then when you start to tune into it, you start to, Oh, I'm listening. Oh, I can hear the lyrics. Oh yeah. I, I remember that song. Well,
1: so How often do we find ourselves singing along before we realize that right. it's even there.
2: Right. And, and, and that, and that's kind of the starting place of understanding, okay, there's this thing that exists that I am in the world, like a fish doesn't know it's in water. Right. And, and so when you, when you tell it, it's like, what do you mean? And, <laughs> um, And for me, it was understanding that there was a little more proactive opportunity that I had as as a family member who was in a family who was supportive of me as an LGBTQ person. And my sister and my family was just assuming that my nephew was straight and other kids in our family are straight and or cisgender, which is the gender that they are assigned at birth. And, And so this conversation was really for me about encouraging my family to consider because I have a big family and, and there may or may not be LGBTQ kids in our family right now. And by us not considering that as a possibility, we're helping to contribute to the closet, which for me is a hotbed for shame that I super, often talk
1: about. Super, super, important stuff because he- as a mother right you know this baby and you hold this baby and you look at this baby and you do not know who this person is you know it's this process over years of getting to know this person and they unveil themselves and you observe and you get to know them better and you get to know how this kid is different from this kid and we grew up in this culture where sex generally speaking there's this veil of shame on it anyway so nobody even wants to think about kids and sex right and yeah. kids don't want to think about parents and sex.
2: Right. We right. like
1: to pretend that doesn't exist. Right. Until maybe they're teenagers, uh, but that's not true. You point right. out in your book like we are all sexual beings from birth. This right. does not mean that we are having sex, we're engaging sex. It, no, it means that we are learning about ourselves. It means we are learning how we interact in the world. And you point out in your TED talk and I'm sure in your book as well. You knew you were gay when you were your nephew's age, when you were right. 6. I was His 6, yeah. Kids know. So right. it is highly possible listeners, some of you listening have kids who are gay or trans or bisexual, you don't know that yet. So, right. let's right. create a culture that is welcoming to all of our children.
2: Right, exactly. And 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 this and I love that you bring up all of those those points cuz that's really what my book is for is to really help bring awareness as to why we're not having certain conversations and what's underneath that and and like you said oftentimes it's we and one of the things I write about is that we place when we think of these these topics we're placing our adult construct of them Mm -hmm. onto children and that's where it gets a little uncomfortable because that's what we're thinking it's not about that at all this is about for me and one of the one of the biggest compliments that I ever received about from my book is that I really am centering children's experiences. Meaning that for me, this is like getting down on my knees and looking into a child's eyes and just trying to come at them from their perspective. And so for me, understanding that a child who's six years old is, is, is discovering their body, they're, asked, they're looking around the world, they're seeing their parents, they're seeing their friends. They're, I mentioned to you earlier, you know, in the podcast, when we first started that I, I, I live physically right next to a preschool. And so you know, all the kids, they're playing all day long, and they're picking up the they're just sponges absorbing the world around them. And so this is about us as adults, how can we create spaces for all children to feel seen? And to have that glimmer in a parent or a caregiver's eye. And gender and sexuality is the journey. And I knew when I was six. And sometimes people may not know until they're a little older, or because of the heteronormative messages, there's so it's such a pervasive force. The analogy I often use is it's kind of like it's you live, you, you live in the Midwest, you mentioned it's kind of like humidity. You can't see it, but you feel it. <laughs> yeah. and, And and so in some spaces where I go to, I it's it's really thick and I feel it. And so sometimes it requires a concerted effort to be proactive versus reactive because reactive children have already intuited and interpreted the messages. And I'm sure you're you know, this is one of the things I often talk about with with families is that one of the most important things for us as parents or caregivers is that whenever there's something going on in the family, like a, there's a shift that occurs, you know, a, a job loss, a, a addiction, a death in the family, God forbid, you know, those kinds of things. Separation. Child, exactly, all of those things, children, the first thing that they think is, it's my fault, What did I? what did I do? And that may not even be a conscious thought that they have, but that's a feeling that they get. And so we, I feel as parents and caregivers and adults, the changing conversations that are happening for us to help children understand that the things that we're not talking about or if we miss them which we're gonna make a, we're gonna make a rupture that it's not their fault and so that's where we can prevent children who are marginalized or minorities from my, minority groups that we can bring out the message of, of shame and prevent them from even becoming part of their belief system
1: This is so hard for so many of us parents because what we need to do Mm -hmm. is talk about things that nobody talked to us about.
2: Right, yes. So
1: we don't have, uh, you know, it's not like I have any good role models for how to do this. Right. I grew up in the Midwest in a very Catholic family. I went to a Catholic school. Yes. Yes. Unbeknownst to myself, it turns out that my best friend, all the way through eight years of Catholic school and four years of high school. After we graduated high school, he told me he was gay. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't have any concept for what that was. This was, But I'm sure he knew well before that
2: and got all these
1: messages that we don't talk about this.
2: Yeah. I mean, you bring up such a good point and I completely recognize that and acknowledge that. My mom's saying she went to Catholic school all growing up. She comes from a family where Her parents didn't talk to her. My parents didn't talk to me about sex or sexuality. And it was just something we didn't talk about. And it's something that is really important to do because we do know that not talking about things can be really, really painful. And I mean, this could be a whole big conversation about back in the eighties, the don't use drugs or just, you know, not just, turning a blind eye. That's one of the things I, I talk about in my book is benign neglect. And what that really does is when we turn our, when we're uncomfortable with something and we don't want to deal with it. And so we just pretend that it doesn't exist. That is is—you <laughs> like,
1: just described my family dysfunction to a T Chris. Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. And I acknowledge that I acknowledge that. And that's why it's so I'm so grateful for the opportunity. My nephew's question. I feel like really did for me something that gave me the opportunity to kind of I, I I use this analogy a lot I teach I work with youth and one of the analogies that I always use with them is you know I always say you know what if your parents told you to go clean your room and they gave you like you know half an hour because you had to go somewhere and so they wanted you to clean your room so you go in your room you clean your room you pick up the clothes you dust off the dresser and it looks really clean and all and you have like two minutes left and you're like I clean my room I feel so productive and then all of a sudden you realize, you look under the bed and there's all of this stuff underneath the bed. <laughs> You've been having late night snacks. And so there's like dishes and dirty, you know, just- Hockey really,
1: wrappers. Yes, hockey
2: wrappers. And, <laughs> and, yes, and you know, all of that is underneath the bed. And then all of a sudden your parents open the door and they come in. Oh my gosh, you cleaned your room. Your room is so clean. In that moment, can you really say that your room's clean? And so You're this You're right. Is in
1: that moment, you like- you're not fully you can't absorb that because you know that there's more that your parents yes. don't know and that yeah. if they found out, they might be disappointed in you. Yeah,
2: or you might be disappointed in you for not really acknowledging that that because that's yeah. part of your room. And and there's mold and fungus on some of those plates. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I almost spit out my coffee, yeah. listeners.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that's really, I feel like this for me is that opportunity. And one of the things that I, I've I've heard a lot from the people that I've, I have been grateful to have this conversation with is that, you know, my book, this isn't at all about pointing the finger and saying you did something wrong and you need to do this. This is really inviting all of us to the table and being able to talk about things that I acknowledge we didn't talk about.
0: I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son Tyler had so much
1: fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a
0: fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore. At Dabble and Dollop.
1: Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys. 20% off for being an onboys listener. So you mentioned that you really center kids and kids' yes. perspective versus the adult perspective. Yes. So let's let's bring that down. You know, as an adult, mm-hmm. what is a child's perspective and a child's view and a child's experience? What do I need to know about that so that I, as a parent, adult, and a caregiver can uh, be sensitive and responsive in a way that is a good fit for the child without imposing my adult stuff on?
2: Yeah, that's such a great question. And for me, it's be curious. Just from a psychological perspective, you know, we're, when we have kids, oftentimes we're kind of projecting our so much stuff onto them, um, the things that we didn't do, that we wanted to do. And so for me, when I say centering children's experiences, to me, what that means is being curious about who they are and coming at it from a place of, like you said before, there's this human that. I don't know anything about, I think I do. And I may know a lot of things just, I mean, my mom, I mean, just from being a parent, you're intuitive and you kind of know your child, you know, they don't like this food. They know, you know, like- And
1: you learn a little bit more every day, every every
2: year. Exactly, exactly. And I think still being able to come at it from a place of curiosity, and I'm still getting to know this person and this person at six hasn't revealed or even fully understood themselves. Right. And so how can I help facilitate their discovery of themselves by being curious about who they are?
1: So how can I do that with my six-year-old?
2: It's about be asking questions and being interested in the things that they like. And and I and I completely acknowledge that this is like any any type of personal development work. I, I say the same thing, you know, when I talk to people about that, is that you know it takes it takes effort what i one of the things i say in my book too it's a process of learning as much as it is a process of unlearning and the and unlearning so,
1: is harder than the learning it is
2: and that's one of the things the kind of the through line of my book is the subtitle of my book is a parent's guide to changing the messages from the playground and for me the messages from the playground are the societal the unlearned that's kind of the unlearning and learning where certain things come from, certain beliefs come from, certain messages come from. And, and so that that is kind of the unlearning, and then we get to learn. And so it's asking questions, being aware, now, now that your listeners have a new word, heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. I, I often use examples, I kind of point out examples, but you know, one example is um, that same nephew, I went into the grocery store with him. I remember one time with my mom and I, and we were at, in the checkout line, and my nephew he has really long eyelashes. And so the woman at the checkout line was saying to him, wow, you have really long eyelashes. Your eyelashes are so beautiful. I'm sure all the girls have a crush on you. And he was only, he was only, I think like seven at the time. And so- It already- can happen
1: when they're three, two. I mean, listeners, you know this, it's happened to some of your children already, that assumption. Yes.
2: That assumption. And 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 so that, that already is- we're projecting into him that all girls are going to have a crush on him. And so what messages is he getting? I mean, that's a whole you know layered thing too. And I understand it sounds like such an innocent question. And the woman behind the checkout stand, she was just being sweet and nice. And when I was his age, I used to get those messages too. And I knew I was I was gay. And so for me, every time someone said that, it was it was literally like a source of shame because it was a reminder that I was wrong or bad or different right. because I was disappointing their assumption of me.
1: So one thing that adults can do, I mean, first of all, ideally, let's stop making any kind of assumptions about three and six-year-olds' future love lives because <laughs> right. they're children. Let's let them be children. You can compliment eyelashes without going to who's going to like who later. Right. Yeah. But if you have to say something, assuming, oh, all the boys are gonna be after you or all the girls are gonna be after you, or do you have a girlfriend yet? How many times are little boys asked that question? Do you have a yeah. girlfriend yet? Right, right. Do you have somebody special?
2: Yes. Might be. Yes.
1: A, a better way of phrasing things because yes. it's inclusive and it allows for possibilities.
2: That's a beautiful example. And if I could share another example is, you know, just recently my, my, my niece, who now is the age of my nephew um, at the time when he asked be that, you know, so six. And, and so we were talking, we were FaceTiming and she was telling me that her, she was telling me that two of our family members have boyfriends and girlfriends. And it was just a sweet little, you know, we were FaceTiming and she's telling me, oh, guess, guess what? So and so has a girlfriend. They're going to go to the dance together. They had a winter formal. And and I just I kind of was observing her talking to me about to me, what I was getting is that she's curious, she's interested from a child, just innocent perspective that she's noticing people and she's starting to, and people are asking her questions. Mm-hmm. Like, is there, do you, is you know, do you have a boyfriend? Is there someone at school that you like? And so for me, it was an opportunity to kind of start having questions and, and and talking to her about, oh, you know, well, you know, some people have girlfriends or some people have boyfriends or some people have someone that they love and that they care for. and And just being able to have that really innocent, sweet conversation with her and meet her where she's at from a place of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Those are those little kind of sweet moments that it's not this like, okay, Thursday at seven (laughs) o'clock when I'm in town, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation. You know, it's kind of these little moments when, when they bring to us the information.
1: Always, always, always start with listening. I think that is so key for adults and children. Start with listening. Yes. Uh, Because frankly, If your niece, nephew, you know, child on the playground is busy telling you about, I don't know, the kickball game that just happened, they don't care about anything else you have to say at that moment. Right. But if they're talking about, you know, couples going to a dance, you can listen, you can acknowledge, and then you can expand that conversation a little bit.
2: Yeah. And I think I love what you said about listening, because when I'm in my mind, I'm always thinking about why, why, why is this person telling me this? not from a place of judgment, but from from a place of curiosity. Yeah. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, why is she telling me this? And to me, it's coming from the place of like, oh, she's curious. She's starting to look around and maybe she does have a crush on on someone or she's starting to kind of think of that and be curious. And for our
1: listeners who are thinking, oh, they're too young, they're too young. Please stop. Think about your first crushes. Think about who you liked when you were in fourth grade, thinking, think about who you knew, who liked who, when you were in third grade, like we want to think our kids are too young, but I can still tell you who liked who at those ages. We know these things.
2: Yeah. And and this is going back to kind of what we talked about earlier, as far as we're putting our adult constructs of what that means. I love the word curiosity because it's, it's, I'm curious. I have a desire, desire from a, from a place of you know, we, we are, we are human beings with these developing minds and hearts and bodies, and we're in the world and we're looking around and we're seeing, going back to the heteronormativity, we're seeing movies, we're watching shows, we're seeing cartoons, everywhere. And, everywhere. and again, going back to that, you know, that's what I call the messages from the playground, which are the subconscious beliefs that we just pick up by virtue of being socialized in a dominant culture.
1: We're swimming in it. Like you said, it's the it. water. We are swimming yeah. in it all of the
2: yes. time. Yes. Yes. All of the time. And, and I have those messages myself as a gay man. I'm also unpacking my heteronormativity and, and the messages that I received. I went to, I have a, a doctor who is a lesbian and it wasn't a, but a few months ago that she was telling me about, oh, her, me and my wife went on da 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 da, And that moment I realized, oh, I, I never thought that, I just it never occurred to me that she was a lesbian or that Mm -hmm. she had a wife Mm -hmm. and that's an example of just the the goggles that i'm wearing the lens unconsciously and not that i needed to know about her partner it's just it's an awareness that i have of how deep this goes and so what can i do energetically to create a space of curiosity versus assumption
1: Ooh, that is a deep topic. What can I do energetically to create a space of curiosity rather than assumption? Yes. So while I am in my house of chaos with my children, and my kids are teens now, uh, you know, there are probably lots of things that I could have and should have done differently when they were little, but I didn't know what I didn't know then. And that's true for everybody listening. So what are some things that we parents... Aunts, uncles, teachers can begin doing now to create this energetic space of curiosity for our, all of our children?
2: Yeah, that's a beautiful question because I, I very much believe that our energy is, especially with children. I talk about this in the book, it's my ability to self regulate myself and to be regulated is so and so important, especially when I work with kids. Because if I'm not regulated, then I, there's no way I'm going to be able to regulate them.
1: Kids pick and, up our stuff. Even if you're yes. not, if you're not dealing with your stuff, it doesn't matter. You think you're hiding it. No kids. No.
2: Yes. Yes. I, I I say this all the time when I'm working with my classes is that I always ask them, can you tell when your parents come in the door, what, if they had a good day or not? And they're always like, yes. <laughs> and that's not to say that we don't have bad days. This isn't about perfection. This is about ruptures is that we're going to make ruptures. And it's in the repair that we get to offer healing and an opportunity to be vulnerable. That's where all the growth is. It's in the repair. And so this isn't about avoiding ruptures. This is about leaning into and being willing to make repairs. And that's when we get to model, you know, for the for the next generation, for the, for the things that our parents didn't do because they only knew what they knew.
1: Let's do an example of a rupture and a repair because we're human. We're going to screw this up. There's going to be people who are listening and they're like, yes, I want to create a more inclusive climate. I want to make sure that all the children that I encounter feel safe to be whoever they are. Yeah. I will inevitably do something stupid or say something stupid. Yeah, can you give yeah. me an example? I just can't think right now of anything stupid I'd yeah. say. <laughs> well, it's okay. It could be subtle.
2: I mean, one, one of the ones I use in my book is that um, this is kind of a real basic one, but I think it's it could be helpful Maybe is that um, my niece and my nephews got me a, a shirt that it was a best uncle shirt. And and they sent it to me and, and they were so excited to, to send me the shirt. And so when I got it, I I texted I sent them a picture with me holding the shirt and I called them and I thanked them and I was like, you know, it was so great. And so then I was in town visiting a few months later. And as kids do, they ask questions without you expecting <laughs> them to, to ask them. And my niece asked me, oh, Uncle Chris, have you worn your shirt? Do you wear your shirt? And I hadn't worn it yet. And it totally caught me off guard. And I felt really bad about not wearing it. So I said, yes. And I knew that she knew that I didn't wear it. Uh, I I just, I knew that. And, and I, and I knew that she was sitting with that, but she didn't want to, she, she didn't feel comfortable enough to say, to challenge me or what do you, I I mean, you know, I don't think that she would have you're, you know, she's not going to say you're a liar. Cause it was so innocent. It was so But small. it is an
1: example of kids learning from what we don't say too. You don't right? say. So exactly. you you did say something, you said that you wore it, but she sensed that the energy and the words weren't yes. matching. Yeah. And by you not saying the truth. Yes. You knew there was something unsaid, which signaled, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about, it and I went away
2: thinking about it. And I know, and I know it was such a small example and, And I was like, this is an opportunity for me to be able to model for her because this is what I, this is for me what was most important is I want her to trust her instincts Mm -hmm. and I want her to be able to trust herself and if she feels that something isn't the way that she feels that it is, that's a muscle for her. And I don't want to discount or make her, that muscle, weaker. I want to strengthen it.
1: I think that is one of the most important things that we can do for all of our children.
2: Yes. So I called her, and after I left town, and I had a conversation. And I know it sounds so... Small this example, but I think it's so big in so many ways because I was able to call her and talk to her. And I asked her if she thought that I wasn't telling the truth. And she was like, yeah, I didn't think you wore it. And I, 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 I know that you would have probably sent us a picture because I, I did when I said, sent- sure,
1: she's right. Right. She knows yeah. her uncle Chris.
2: Yes. And she, when I, when I got it, I sent the picture. Yeah. And so she, she knew that I would have sent a picture with me wearing it. So we were able to talk about Her intuition and trusting herself. And I told her that sometimes when I am caught off guard, and I want to make her feel better, I may say something that isn't true. But that doesn't mean that her feeling about what she felt was wrong. And I want her and I asked her, I go, Do you know what intuition is? And she's like, yeah, it's where you like, you feel something. And like, your intuition is your superpower. And I want you to be able to trust that.
1: And you also role modeled that, you know what, in hindsight, it's not a good idea to lie to make somebody else feel better what a powerful lesson that yes, is. yes
2: yes it is it is and i even when i was i i actually wrote about in my, I, one of my chapters of my book one of the sections i write about white lies and i had a little bit of pushback from my editor when i was writing about the book because you know kids ask questions all the time and Constantly. sometimes sometimes we say things in the moment because we don't want to and so where do we draw the line between what's a white lie and what's a and and so for me this is where the the repair and the ruptures come in to play, is that I have the ability to make a repair and also to honor her intuition, because this is about empowering and strengthening a young person. And and that's what I get to do when I have enough humility to say, like, I wasn't honest with you. And if you felt something, I want you to be able to, to say that with me and to feel comfortable to say, Uncle Chris,
1: I thought you would have sent a picture, you
2: know, and and then and then we get to talk about that.
1: You know, hearing you say that, I had a moment of uh, almost like this internal pushback because I realized I was not raised that way, right? Mm, yeah, I was yeah. not raised that way. So in my head, there was just a moment of, well, no, I don't want kids coming back to me and saying, well, you were wrong, right? Because that was not the culture that I grew up in. This is what we're talking about, where we as the adults have to do some of the work, deal with our own, I'll call it shit, deal with our own shit, deal with our own messages, do some unlearning, because I want these children in my space to be valued, to be loved, to trust their intuition, to speak up.
2: Yes. And I love that you say that because really, if we want to peel back the layers and I, I, and, you know, I really intentionally broke my book up into three sections. The first section is awareness. The second section is willingness. And the third section is change. Awareness is if I can just become aware. And so when I'm more aware, when I peel back the layers, I realize that in that moment of my saying that's just a really snippet little teeny tiny example is I was able to connect that to my desire to people please and to want to be liked. Sure. And want to, to not disappoint someone else. Sure. So it's really about me. And, and that's what really this, you know, I think this conversation is really about is it's a dance. It's a dance that we do with ourselves and then with our kids and Mm -hmm. ourselves and our kids. And so I get to unpack the things that my reasons for not having certain conversations or for not saying certain things. And then I get to, to go with my, my, the kids in my life, the youth in my life and get to share with them and have conversations. But it begins with myself.
1: And as a dance, sometimes we step on each other's toes.
2: We do. We step on each other's toes and the coordination is off yep. and, and that, and that's okay. And that yes. just will make that, that will make us better dance partners.
1: Yes. I would really like to hear if you're willing to share, you know, your experience, six-year-old Chris, you knew you were gay and you were getting these messages from the world that eh, maybe that's not okay. Like, can you elaborate on that? Because I don't know what that feels like. And I grew up in a heteronormative culture and I'm straight. Yeah. So I yeah. never even had to have a moment of realizing I was, I didn't have to realize I was anything because the water yeah. is made for me.
2: You know, I really, I wrote this book for my six-year-old self. Yeah. And, and it was really, you know, for him. And because similarly, if if your listeners are familiar with growing up in a family where there's alcoholism or addiction and, and really understanding what that experience is like, as far as the hyper and constantly checking the temperature of the room, uh, trying to predict behavior, all of that is so similar to what it's like growing up LGBTQ is that you're constantly checking spaces, you're, you're hyper vigilant, you're, you're really se- checking
1: you're, for safety, aren't you? You're,
2: sa- you're checking for safety, you're, you're reading, I was so good at reading faces. And I talked about the glimmer in a parent or caregiver's eye is for us to be able to look at our, our, the kids in our life with that glimmer, because they can read that. Oh, yes. And they they can feel that. And so I grew up and this isn't to say anything bad about my family, but I didn't receive that glimmer because unconsciously I didn't meet their standards of what it meant to be a little boy. Yep. And and so this is about creating space for children who don't meet certain societal standards. Mm-hmm. And and if we can be curious about who they are and do that dance and unpack, we know from the research, we know from all of the years of of what we've heard is that. The closet contributes to shame. Shame contributes to addiction and increased rates of suicide. And you know, one of the things with my book is I talk a lot about, I have a whole chapter dedicated to shame and I have a whole chapter dedicated to trauma. And, and so this is about preventing that from having to be a child's experience unnecessarily.
1: We have talked on this podcast before about how boys are acutely sensitive to shame. There's this stereotype that boys are strong and tough and they don't care about all that stuff. No, they are constantly, constantly from little, all the way up to our bigs, my teenagers, my young adults, they are constantly looking for, am I okay? Am I okay? And you're right. They're reading our faces our eyes, our tones of voice, they hear what we say when they're not in the room.
2: Yes, they feel it. Yes,
1: they are looking for this all the time. And we have also talked on here um, numerous times about the high rates of suicide for boys. And you know well, it is higher yet for boys who are LGBTQ. This is a fact. So anything that we can do on the front end and really, you know, it can sound so intimidating if we say things like, well, we need to uh, come back and break down heteronormative culture. Like that just sounds like this huge thing. What you are telling us and what we have said on the podcast before, look at the boy in front of you. Yes. yes. Look at that boy and love that boy. We talk very broadly about boys and what they need and what they experience in society. And that's helpful information. But it really comes down to being curious mm. and loving the child in front of you.
2: Yes, it is that it's it's all about it's all about that. And that that's what I say. This it, this happens one child at a time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: These conversations and and these the messages that we can help prevent. It's not a one size fits all. No, uh, these conversations. And it's not a one time conversation. It's ongoing and it's. It's just continuing to be curious and to meet them where they're at and to be willing to the rupture, to offer the repair.
1: And to do some of the work and the education for ourselves, because as we talked about earlier, a lot of us did not grow up talking about these things. We don't know what we don't know. So take some time, educate yourself, deal with some of your own stuff. Chris, where can people find your book?
2: Yes, they can find it anywhere books are sold. amazon my barnes and nobles goodreads
1: i'm gonna put the link in the show notes literally all you have to do is click on it and buy the book yeah you, you, you do a lot of speaking as well do you have a I speaking do. schedule that if somebody wants to catch you somewhere they can see where you're going to be um
2: my website is a to love.com. all one word if, if anyone wants to check that out
1: all right thank yes. you so much for joining us today for you. sharing your story Your heart, your passion for helping all of our children is so apparent, and I appreciate that.
2: Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight to be here. Thank you.
0: Great suggestions from author Chris Tompkins about how to be LGBTQ allies, how to have those conversations with all kids. And remember, Next Gen Men has a course that you can take to Be able to have those conversations to have the background knowledge that you need about how we can support our boys and men go to nextgenmen.ca and you'll find the course there use the on boys code to save and i think you will really like this course i've taken it jen's taken it i learned some new things i'm sure you will too nextgenmen.ca and use the on boys coupon code and don't forget decoding your boys less yelling more connecting it's what we all want with our kids join me for the decoding program it's a full year we meet twice a month boysalive.com decode i will love to have you join us On behalf of Jen and myself, Janet, thank you for being on Boys Listeners. And if you liked this podcast, please share it with a friend. Thank you.